KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. This has to be one of the most universally sad sounds in the world. I mean, listen to the poor pup. How could you just walk out of the house if your dog is doing this? Unfortunately, you have to. Life requires leaving your home. Sure, maybe it didn't for a while when this whole pandemic thing started, but we're fully back to a world where most people have to leave their homes on a regular basis, whether it's for work or just to get groceries, regardless of what their pets think. According to the ASPCA, 23 million households got a new cat or dog during the pandemic. That's one in five households in the country. And a lot of those new pet owners hit a harsh reality when they had to learn to take care of their pets and live their lives out in the world. Local shelters have seen an uptick in animals being brought back. But no one wants that. Most people don't want to give up their pets. Pat Batita runs Pac-Man to the Rescue Canine Solutions and Coaching in Little Falls, New Jersey. But he says he doesn't focus on training dogs. He trains people. He offered up some solutions and ways that pet owners can adjust their behaviors to make life transitions like these easier for themselves and for their pets. So Pat, we all know that tons of people got pets in the pandemic when they had lots of time, they could be home with them 24-7, it was comforting, and now things look a little bit different. So from what you've seen, how are those pets and the owners doing today? Um, I mean, it depends. It's really dependent on the individuals. You know what I mean? I think it really has nothing to do with pandemic necessarily. I think it just has to do with the type of of, of pet owner and, and dog owner, cat owner, whatever that a person is, because regardless of pandemic or not, an animal, uh, particularly like a dog, requires certain things, requires care and requires, you know, upkeep. And um, if a person is not willing to do the necessary things to get to the point of making their dogs happy, fulfilled, and well-behaved, then they're not going to do a pandemic or, or, or anything. So it's really just about putting the effort in the beginning. The rest of it is just maintenance. The rest of it is just upkeep. During the pandemic, it made the lifestyle of certain individuals be perceived as it was a lot more, you know, time, you know, a lot more time and not as busy, you know, and I put air quotes be around that because that's really the excuse that that I'm sure you know you hear, you know, and I don't believe that that's the case for anybody. Um, I think that there, you know, you could carve out some time, and I'm not talking about hours upon hours upon hours. You carve out some time throughout the day to just do what's necessary again to get everything done for your dog to be happy, fulfilled, and well behaved, and therefore, you know, you won't have any issues down the line. Do you think that the pandemic played into it? Like, do you think that more people? got pets without really thinking it through in the pandemic? Or is that something that you see kind of commonly that people don't either realize how much work it's going to take or they don't realize that they don't have the effort or energy? Is that something you see regardless? It definitely is the case. Yes. Uh, Although, like I said, in the pandemic, during the pandemic period, because people had more free time on their hands, it, it was either for selfish purposes or otherwise, but it's not uncommon for people to take on something that is um, not under their capabilities. A person's personality, a person's lifestyle is really the key to whether or not they could do what's necessary to have a dog, again, that's happy, fulfilled, and well-behaved. And again, it's the animals that end up suffering. Right, right. And where I've heard at least um, a lot of local shelters saying that 
pets are being returned or they're being given up. Is that something? I don't know how much you see that in your line of work. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And, you know, with all the rescue and shelter contacts that I had, there's an overflow. In fact, they're just so stressed out. A lot of shelters obviously have limited capacity from a physical standpoint of where they could put their, their, their animals. Rescues primarily are uh, foster based. So they're, they're running out of fosters who are able to take these dogs in but they have no place to put them. So they're like in a, in a, in a quite a bit of a bind. And it, it makes it challenging because some of these dogs, let's say, for example, were, were adopted as a puppy, no problems whatsoever, ended up in these homes, not being cared for. These dogs have developed some kind of behavioral issues. Now, all of a sudden, they have to go into a foster home. But most fosters are not capable of handling a dog that has certain behavioral issues. And so it makes it a lot more difficult, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and your sort of philosophy you talk a lot about training the people before training the dogs. And that's that sounds like what you're saying here is sort of the mentality that you because dogs can tell your your mood, your mindset, your tone, you know, things like that. They know how you feel. Dog training is just useless crap in the grand scheme of things when it comes to like teaching the dog to perform certain tricks of sit, stay, lay down. And unfortunately, a lot of dog professionals will apply those techniques of treats and tricks, as I call, I call them trick-or-treaters, because they're obedience commands and treats to basically fix everything. It doesn't work. Using that system teaches your dog to perform certain tricks. It doesn't work for the mind. Dogs have a psychology. Dogs have a way of communication. And using the words, the commands, and using the treats is not how they do it. If you watch two dogs interact, they don't negotiate with treats. They don't discuss it with with verbal commands, they use energy and body language. That's how they communicate. Their psychology is different than ours. You know, when you're petting a dog, trying to console them, whether they're being aggressive or they're fearful, the brain of a dog functions differently than, than the brain of a human. So when you're rationalizing with the dog saying, it's okay, it's okay, and you're giving them affection, you're nurturing and rewarding the state of mind that they're in at that moment. So in their mind, they're thinking, well, the way I'm feeling is appropriate because mommy likes it, daddy likes it. So this is how I'm supposed to feel. Dog training also creates the illusion of fixing the problem. So they'll have like their hot dogs and their big old pouch of hot dogs. And, you know, and they'll start throwing hot dogs on the floor when a dog is coming by and the person, the dog owner is looking like, oh my God, that's crazy. Usually he's chasing after the dog, but this time he's eating the hot dogs off the floor and he's not going after the dog. Yes. But as soon as he's done with those hot dogs, he's looking for that dog. Because the brain never adjusted to the process. You just distracted them. Yeah, it created the illusion that you fixed the problem, but you didn't. Let's go back to pandemic pets and what's happening with them now. You talk about knowing and understanding the psychology of a dog. What are they kind of going through when their owners are going back to work or they're adjusting to this, I won't say post-pandemic, but like late-stage pandemic life that- in between pandemic, Right, right. <laughs> Uh, honestly, you know, separation anxiety is not something that's being dealt just, just with the, during the pandemic. The separation anxiety is a common is a common issue because in the dog world, it's not normal for a dog. It's not natural for a dog to be separated from their pack, right? In our mm. world, in the human world, it is natural. We have to go to school. We have to go to work. We have to go to the gym. We have to go food shopping or whatever. So it is normal for us to separate from our pack. The problem is that what we need to learn to do is we need to take something that is not natural for a dog, but is natural for us and make it natural for a dog in a natural fashion. When you are going away 
what most people do is they'll either feel guilty. So when they're leaving, help, okay, baby, uh, mommy's going to go to work now. You be a good boy. I'm going to be back. Don't worry. I'm not leaving you forever. When you're walking away with that kind of energy, your energy is very soft and weak. So you're leaving it with your dog. And now your dog is left alone feeling this way. Now they're like, okay, this is bad. So you leaving is a bad thing. The other part of it is because, especially during the pandemic, people were always with their dogs. They never taught their dogs to be away from them, even in the house. So if they're going to the bathroom and their dog follows them, if they're getting up from moving from this spot to three feet away and the dog goes with them, they feel... Well, the dog loves me. He, everywhere I go, he's got to follow me around. Sure. Hey, my cats do that. Well, cat, my cats might be different. I don't know. Training them might be a little bit different, but there's some similarities in the separation anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I have a cat too. The end result during the separation period, I think is different for, for my cats is concerned. For other cats, I don't know. But the, the end result is different because when it comes to like dogs, they pant, they just, they, you could tell that they're just suffering. True, true. You know, they're, they're bark, they're scratching, they're ripping furniture apart, they're crying, the whole bit. So when you're allowing your dog being attached to your hip, now that you have to separate yourself from that, they don't know what to do with themselves because they're so used to being attached to your hip, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to teach them what to do during a separation period. And a lot of times we also set them up for failure, meaning we allow them to follow us around the house as we're getting ready for work and we get them excited. Oh baby. Yeah. You're so cute. And you're walking around and you're, you're getting ready and you're getting breakfast ready. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm so, I'm so happy. You're with me. You're following me around and you're getting them excited. So in the dog's mind, they're thinking, okay, so we're about to go out. Mommy's getting ready. Daddy's getting ready. We're about to leave the house. Then all of a sudden you turn around and you slam the door in their face and they're like, Whoa, what happened here? That's just some examples of what ends up happening, because usually the the two reasons why dogs become anxious during the separation period, it's either number one, when a dog has the notion that they're the ones that are in charge, when they're the ones that are in control of the household, they never gave you permission to leave. That's going to make them anxious when you do without their permission. The second part of it is, again, when they don't know what to do during the separation period, that's going to make them anxious. When they have an exact idea of what to do, when to do, and how to do it throughout the whole day, no matter what the circumstances are, then everything is fine. So how do you teach them that, you know, do the opposite of everything you just described? What should we be doing instead? There's a lot of foundational pieces that have to go into place for this, okay? But the first thing that you got to remember is that if we're just talking about like leaving the house, you want to make sure that you associate the process of leaving, the process of uh, your dog being alone, along with the process of you walking out the door with calmness on the dog's side. Dogs feed off of how we feel, right? We talked about that before. But also behaviors and or activities are associated with the state of mind that the dog is in at that moment. So regardless of what it is that you're doing, the one state of mind that you want to have your dog in is always calm. You have to make sure that you make them calm before you walk out. Now, like we said earlier, when you're starting off on the right foot, it's easy. But if you're trying to refix the anxiety issues, then you have to go back to basics and start to break it up into pieces. You also have to what do what I call practice before the big game, meaning you can't just do the things necessary when it's the real deal, when you're leaving for work, because your focus when you're doing that is to leave, to go to work, right? So you have to practice these things and set yourself up with 
five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is you could do with the process of you leaving to go to work. But you're really not leaving to go to work. You're just pretending to leave so that they're relating to it the same way, whether it's you're going to work or going to the store or whatever, it's the process of separation that really you have to focus on. You have to start off with short periods of time and short distances, meaning when you walk out the door, don't just walk out the door and leave for an hour. You start maybe just by approaching the door, maybe opening and closing the door, you know, then maybe stepping outside and then coming right back in. And you progressively add more time to this so that every single one of those steps starts to associate calm state of mind with every single one of those steps. And then once you're actually out of sight, then you can start to add more time to it. But again, short, 30 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds, and then just start to gradually and consistently build up to it. But the key is gradually and consistently. Don't go from like 30 seconds to four minutes. Too big of a jump. So really small amounts to start. And That's then, what I prefer. You know, if you're building up to an eight-hour day, you got to really work your way up slowly, huh? Yes, but you got to remember that you're starting it small. So if you're starting off with 10 seconds at a time and you're building up to 30 seconds, from there on, you're not doing it in 10-second in increments. If you're at like a five-minute stage, you could crash it at another five minutes because at this point, you're already like building up that tolerance. And before you know it, like I said, the brain is in a calm state. So it's not like they're going to realize after 15 or 20 minutes, oh, wait a minute, hold on a second, I'm by myself here. No, they're already in that mode. So it's just going to continue. What do you think about the hybrid work structure? Do you think that makes it worse or better as far as like, is it more or less disruptive to have such a different routine? You know, if your dog is home with you 24 hours one day and then not the next day, does that make any difference? Not at all. It's the same principles. You know, I've worked from home. I've been on the road. You know, my dogs are here right now. You know, I have a cat. I told you, I don't know where she is. I have a parrot. I have a tortoise. Whatever, you know, presents itself during the day, that's what it's going to be. That's what we all have to adapt to. You know, like they don't care because, again, it doesn't matter to them. Their mind is in a calm state regardless of what's going on. They've learned that the process of what we do is not based on what they do, it's based on what I do. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll talk more about how to deal with your pet's separation anxiety and hear more of Pat's personal story. Because believe it or not, he used to be afraid of dogs. We'll hear how he overcame his fear and rehabilitated his own pit bull, who's named Socks, right after this. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. We're back with dog coach, or maybe he'd call himself a dog owner coach, Pat Batita talking about pandemic pets and what they need now. A lot of people have been back in the office for, for some time now. You know, I don't know how many people are just starting to go back, but how long can this sort of separation anxiety last if it's not dealt with? Are you seeing people who started going back into the office maybe like last winter and their dogs are still having trouble? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's possible because, again, if – if you don't deal with it, it's, it's just it just compounds. You know, if you ignore the initial signs of it, things start to compound because in their mind, it's like this is a, it's allowed. It's OK because you're not doing anything to, to, to control it. So they're just going to continue to escalate because that's kind of like what dogs do when it comes to to fixing it, though. You know, that's where people start to throw in the medication. I'm not a big fan of that either, because, um, again, it just doesn't fix the problem. It just covers it up. The fact of the matter is that dogs are easier to address when you're doing it the right way. 
but also when you're when you're understanding of the fact that if this dog came to you with separation anxiety, that's one thing, but you should still fix it. I'll use myself as an example. I came from a world where I was afraid of dogs till I was 28 years old. I adopted a pit bull who, with no experience, no knowledge with dogs in general, and I rehabilitated probably the worst dog till this day that I have ever had my hands on. My own was the worst till this day. That's a bold move. So how did you, I guess, how and why did you overcome that fear? Like, did, was it an intentional choice to adopt your, your pit bull in order to overcome your fear of dogs? Or how did you end up there? My story was just very, very complex. And I use it as an inspiration to others, which is why I wrote the books, which is why I have a podcast, which is why I do these kind of things now. Like I said, afraid of dogs when I was 28 years old. I ended up getting married in 2001. Uh, divorced six months later, I ended up moving into an apartment, my first apartment, and I was um, confronted daily, hourly, I should say, by a bull mastiff and a coonhound that lived in the downstairs apartment from me. One day, got confronted by these two monsters, had no escape, and somehow I ended up coming out of it. It was like a like a horror movie. I ended up coming out of it, and after I kind of like calmed down and was able to gain my breath. I realized, wait a minute, I'm still alive and I'm not mangled. Like, what's going on? I'm supposed to be killed right now, you know? And at that point is when I realized, okay, maybe dogs aren't as bad. And through the consistent exposure to these guys, I kind of like overcame my fear. However, the ones that I still was not willing to accept were pit bulls and Rottweilers. In fact, I used to say that a pit bull would never enter my my household. One day, um, I started flipping through the channels and I stumbled onto a TV show called The Dog Whisperer with Cesar Milan. And I started watching the show specifically because a particular dog had caught my eye. Now, remember, I wasn't an animal lover or dog lover at all, but this dog just caught my attention. And I started watching more episodes of the show because I wanted to see this dog. Lo and behold, come to find out, the dog that I was uh, stalking was a pit bull. It was actually Caesar's dog, Junior, that I was infatuated with. started watching the show. I was like, wow, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And I started learning the reality of Pipples and Rottweilers through watching the dog whisper as well. And that's when I decided I was going to do the impossible. And I was like, I'm going to adopt a Pipple, a bad one, and I will rehabilitate him based on what I learned. And that's exactly what I did. Wow. Wow. And that socks. That's my current dog socks. Socks was a monster. You know, I was having a, such a difficult, I was this close to returning him. I was, I was going to be the fourth person to return him. He had been returned three times. Wow. And I was very close to being number four until I realized what I was doing wrong. And like I said, not only did I take care of him and do things for him, but what he did for me, you know, I can't even express it. I get emotional when I think about it because not only did he need me, but I needed him. Yeah. And that's what pets do a lot of the time. So what were you, you said you realized what you were doing wrong. What were you doing wrong? What was the shift that made it all come together? Everything that I learned, I learned from watching the Dog Whisperer TV show and from reading Cesar Milan's book. The one thing that he preaches about is about making sure that you're in the right emotional state. That is really 95% of the battle. That's really what I focus on teaching my clients is to make them calm and relaxed. Life is stressful. In America, life is stressful. Dogs come into our life to break that up. So when you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, be stressed out as you want is what I always tell everybody. But when you're with your dog, you need to shut that all out. It doesn't exist. You know, you become calm and relaxed. And that was the ingredient that I was missing because when I was working with Socks, I was angry. I was frustrated. I was scared. You know, I didn't trust him. You know, he would do something to challenge me, to test me, and I would fail royally. 
because my emotions were out of whack and he knew how to control me. He knew that he couldn't trust and respect me either. I wasn't earning it. That's really what the relationship between a dog and human is. It's just that it's a relationship. It's based on trust, respect, and love. Once I recognized that, then things started to change. Do you have any other kind of final takeaways, things that pet owners should keep in mind, particularly right now in this sort of weird transitional period for everybody? Um, Generally, how can we be better at understanding our pets, caring for them, keeping them calm? So again, what I was saying earlier was, you know, people make things very complicated. Professionals make things complicated when it comes to dogs. It's very, very basic. The main principles that dogs require are really, it's threefold. It's, a, it's what I call the magic formula, right? It's work, rules, and then reward. So work, which is mental and physical stimulation. Rules, which is establishing directions, boundaries, and limits. So your dog has expectations, know what it is that you want from them. And number three is the reward. And the third one is the one that I really don't have to even focus on because that's what people excel at. The toys, the treats, the food, the affection, attention, the love, the hug and the kiss and all that kind of stuff. That's the reward. Unfortunately, to have a balanced life for our dog, we need all three in proportion. Most people, again, either fail at one, fail at two. You know, the third one is really the one that always exists. But if you're just focusing on one, you're going to have kind of like a spoiled child syndrome, so to, so to speak. You know, and that problem is also because people treat their dogs like humans. And unfortunately, they're not. They are dogs. And I always say, respect your dog's dogness. <laughs> love them like a child, but you got to treat them like a dog. That's what they are. We love dogs for a reason. You know, it's because of how they are. So it baffles me why people try to make their dogs more like humans. If anything, we should try to become more like dogs. Dogs live in the moment. You know, when, I, when we're talking about like, like correcting or rewarding a behavior, it has to be done in the moment. Because if you miss that window, you're rewarding the wrong moment. So when it comes to like, again, living like a dog, when you're living in the moment, you don't worry. And what we said earlier, which was 95% of the battle, be calm and relaxed. Living in the moment is what does it. Because you're not worrying about the future, even if it's a future that's a minute from now, a second from now. It doesn't exist. The past don't exist either. We learn from it, but it doesn't exist. It's nice and calm and relaxed. When we learn to do that and be that way all the time, life doesn't control us anymore. We control life. If you want to learn more from Pat, you can check out Pac-Man to the Rescue Canine Solutions and Coaching out of New Jersey. He also does coaching virtually. And you can read more of his life story in his book, God Spelled Backwards. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa, and we'll have another episode out soon.